The lights come up. The camera focuses. You are somewhere between and the reality of your life is on show. We feel compelled to put on a show all the time and on the stage of life, it is filled with some award-winning performances that most will never get to see on stage. Not all of our stories are glamorous. I am Philip Clark. Join me today as we unearth the many roles of real people who share their journey and the lessons learned on that journey. Welcome to Lights, Camera, Real Life. So, ladies and gentlemen, my friend, them out there, we are here again. This is episode five. Episode five, can you believe it? Episode five of season two of Lights, Camera, Real Life. Um, let me tell you something. I, you know, today I just feel good, you know, feel good say, of one of my closest spirits online with me today. And we're going to have a little chat. I'm going to allow her to share and just fill up the moment this morning. And at this point in time, me I go welcome upon stage to Lights Camera, Real Life, Miss Makeda Solomon. Makeda, what's going on? Hello, 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 Philip. <laughs> Everything is going on and nothing at the same time. It's you know what I mean? Mix and balance of, yes, ebbs and flows. Let us call it that. Uh, I'm good. Yeah, I'm man. Good, good. I like when you say mix up ebbs and flows because people, that's what life is about, you know. Life yeah. doesn't run smooth all the time, you know. No. So, I did have one um, introduction for you. See, can I go ahead and do it, my dear? Feel free. Feel free. She is an award winning actress, both on stage and in film. She was formerly a principal, yes, a lecturer, and a well-seasoned risk management and general insurance professional who, whose career has actually spanned both private and public sectors, having been in the UK and Jamaica. So yes, she international, yes. Her current life, however, focuses on supporting the mental, spiritual, physical, and professional upliftment of others. Now, that is how she may have described herself. And me wanted to know how me described her. She is what I have come to know as a very versatile actor, an intuitive soul with a genuine touch when you experience her. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Makeda Solomon to Lights, Camera, Real Life. I hope media, media justice, Makeda. You always do me justice. <laughs> 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 I hope I do you justice in return. Oh, Thank look so here, no man. Well, look here, no man. I am just waiting for you to just give me all that there is. Life is about flow. My, 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 I'm, I'm learning that. You know, life is about flow. 
and you don't try to control what you can't control. And I'm just yeah. so happy that you're here this, this morning with me. She is joining me from Jamaica. She is in Jamaica. She's not in the UK at the moment. And, uh, you know, although it could have been a different thing because she's an international star, now, you know, so she could be anywhere on the earth. Okay. But she is Jamaica right now. Okay. Yes. So I, I made reference to, to the fact that you have been both in the UK and in Jamaica. So tell us, you, you grew up in the UK, but you are a product of Jamaican parents. What Absolutely. was that like growing up in the UK and where in the UK is this? All right, yes, yes. It's interesting that I'm speaking with you at this particular juncture in my life, let me call it that, because um, I'm in a very reflective mode, um, as I think we all should be from time to time, find that time and space to reflect on who we are, life and so on. But we will we'll approach that a little bit further in. But England born, raised, um, I spent the first 30 years of my life in England. I'd only visited Jamaica um, a few times before making the move here. My first visit here was in 1989. Mm -hmm. So before that, all of my Jamaicanness was was vicariously shared through my parents. Um, growing up in a household where patois, and interestingly, rural patois, mamas from Hanover, and mm -hmm. daddy's Manchester. Ah. So I had mixed up and blend up of two patois um, from two rural areas. Yeah. So yes, so my roots are very much Jamaican. Um, I am so proud of being Jamaican, um, a Jamaican offspring. Um, it's, it's been a beautiful journey for me. I mean, in the earlier stages of life, I suppose, if I, if I go back that far, um, just coming out of the fact that my parents were experiencing England as first tranche of migrants from the Caribbean. Also, oh, they would have been a part of the Windrush generation. Windrush, absolutely, oh. absolutely. I'm what they might classify as a Windrush baby. So, my parents would have gone through all of the hardships and you know of, of making life in England. And so, we first generation Windrush babies, we were experiencing all of the issues, the traumas secondhand from our parents. So when I'm hearing my uncles talking about boy here about the other day, some teddy boys run down a group of them, you know, boys and beat them up and so on, so on, so so we so so we were hearing those tensions whilst we as the youngsters were expected to go into the school system and assimilate and to learn and to be fruitful and, and all of that. This was a brand new dynamic. You know, and it, it actually struck me, you know, the other day in thinking about it, that you know, we were, it, it, there was an evolution taking place in, in us, mm -hmm. being of Jamaican parents, but being the first born in this foreign land, what was then termed the motherland as we, as we know, but it, to me, sometimes it was like a sort of a cruel stepmother, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so England for me, and I, and, I, and I don't throw stone behind me at all. In any life experience that I've been through, it's valid because it's, it really is, I'm a combination of all of that. Absolutely. What I've been through has shaped me and my thoughts and, and my processes um, in life. Um, but I, 
in amongst all of that now, I, I guess I cocoon myself into this world of creativity and, and literature and mm -hmm. um, I suppose daydreaming and escaping into my imagination. I've always had a very fertile imagination. So my memories of my childhood were amazing, joyful, um, happy. Things happened, incidents occurred, but for the most part, um, I, I, I was a happy child and to all extents and purposes, I'm a very happy adult. So I feel I've had a very blessed life. Um, my mother, Pauline, and my father, Gladstone, God rest their beautiful souls, gave me such a solid foundation in terms of, you know, upfulness, upful living, simple people, but with that integrity, that grace. My mother, they used to call her the Duchess, because when my mother sort of put herself together and her poise, how she had that um, very, it was a, like a royal nature. She's very calm, quiet, four foot something, you know, mommy, mommy wasn't, didn't reach five foot tall, little, but she was like the nucleus of our family, the, the cornerstone, the, you know, the matriarch. Right. Um, so I had that in, in, in a mother, and then I had a, the hardworking father who was out there working shifts and working hard to bring on the, you know, the bread and butter for his family. Um, did you, but did, in both, did you get, did you get at the time from your parents that through your, 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 um, through, through raising you that they were passing on something, what it means to be Jamaican? Did you, did you get anything like that? Would you say that you knew what it means to be Jamaican and were they trying to make you be Jamaican or just make you be because you know you you you're 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 English born. Was there an was there a, a, so a positive um a, a proactive action on their yeah, part? Was, you mean? Do you think there was, yes, to remind you that you have come from this heritage? No, you know, I think my parents, like a lot of Jamaicans that went there, were trying their best to assimilate themselves into British mm. society and culture and not stand out too much. And trickling down to us was that sense of focus your mind, get your education, 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 education is key. That was what, you know, that was, was sort of drilled into us so that we could better ourselves and move on up in society, you know, to higher levels than they perhaps had um, at that time. Um, so I think perhaps more to the converse, where it was a case of, you know, fit in, blend in, don't cause too many ripples because we don't want you to be the subject now of the target of that society that was obviously very critical of us um, and had all sorts of stereotypes as to how we were and should, should behave and, and so on. So we were made to sort of feel like, you know, Jamaicanness, it seeped into us. To me, it was, it's genetically coded. In right. <laughs> We ate, how, you know, we spoke in the household. It very, there was no bones about it. It was a Jamaican household. So there was no overt attempt on their part. So did they allow it. you to speak Patois? Yes, 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 oh. yes. My, my parents were not those that said, speak proper English. Right, right. But, you know, in, in saying that, we, um, we were able to command the Queen's English, as they call it. Mm -hmm. So I, I, to me, I say, yeah, man, I'm, bi I'm bilingual. Even before I study any other foreign languages. Exactly. I'm 
school. So. And there are some things that you cannot express at home when the children are misbehaving and daddy, you know, he's not going to stand up and say, children, please, I be behoove you to behave yourselves because you are disturbing my watching of the cricket match right now on the telly. No. When I move out of the way, I just may watch the television. Stop it, guys. You know, you're saying news. When I must listen to news. So, yeah, so the Jamaican, as it kind of does, it washed us. It was washed over us, yes. Yeah, and you had siblings, um, one of which is no longer here. Yes. And you had a pretty good relationship, close relationship with him. How did that impact you? How do I, how did it impact me? Amazingly um, powerful in one regard. So although it was traumatic, probably one of the most traumatic experiences of my life, if not um, losing my brother. I was 18, just turned 18. Um, he was 19, soon to go on to be 20. Um, he got a virus took him out within a day. Um, so the whole family, he was the star boy of the family, my one brother. Um, he was working in a bank, 19 years of age, black boy working in a bank. He was head boy of his high school. His trajectory was amazing. And I was sort of in his, not so much shadow, but looked up to him. He was yeah. my hero. Right. Uh, we, we played and romped together, you know, I was like a little tomboy. So I was always out with the, with the boy and him and his friends mm -hmm. playing around. So when he died suddenly in front of my eyes, it was like, mm. okay, X, you mean these kind of things go on in life? I mean, of course, I wasn't processing it like that at the time, but what it did as a result, it gave me that passion for life, Philip. To me, it was like, wait, you mean life can just done so? at such a young age. So my brother is not here now to enjoy his, what was lining up to be a bright, shining mm -hmm. future. So I can't waste a minute. I cannot waste my time. I can, I've got to live, almost live for the both of us was what I you know, sort of remember sensing. So that was a, it propelled me, propelled me to make the best of myself, to take the opportunities I could, to have great relationships, to live loving with as many people as possible because of this unknown, time frame that we're dealing with it's the unknown part of it mm -hmm. so we said no 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 i can't waste life i can't waste life i just low off and so so yeah that, that, that was the impact and, and you were 18 life. you were 18 at the time you were wow. 18 yes indeed four days after my 18th birthday wow mm -hmm. ladies and gentlemen my friend them we are talking to the great Makeda solomon she's an actress she's been a principal she's now a therapist you know and she is really going to talk a lot about how she really works to uplift the others whether it's mentally spiritually physically and she just shared a very moving story about the impact of her brother the only male sibling in her household that died suddenly at 19 years of age makeda you started getting involved in community style theater in the uk what uh, motivated that? All right. Well, it's a nice little segue, you know, not from the, the, my brother passing, but what you were saying earlier um, about how well my parents sort of encouraged me to be proud of my Jamaican heritage right. and so on. Because I sort of remember starting out as what we would call back then as a little well, roast bread fruit, our, our bounty bar, I used to call them in, in England, people who were black on the outside, but on the inside. <laughs> they, they, they acted pretty, you know, 
like like they were one of the the, the, the nationals, you know. So I, yeah, for all intents and purposes, my mind was set on the fact that yeah, this is the way I am, this is where I behave, and okay. you know, my conduct was pretty much that. My a sense of my own blackness and identity. It was a case where I was the only black girl in my class at high school. Hmm. So I'm in the classrooms, and every time something comes up about Africa or what they would call the dark continent, and you see the videos being played, I would be shrinking in my seat thinking, oh gosh, soon one of the boys is gonna turn around and say, yeah, look, look, ha, 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 that's, that's your family vacate or whatever. So the association with Africanness was something that we, some, not all, um, youngsters growing up in England, so you wanted to disassociate yourself because children want to fit in, they want to blend in, they want to sort of, you know, not, stand out for anything what would be perceived negative in the in the school in the classroom so what community theater did my being exposed to that that is when i started to say oh my goodness look at my people i come from a real self i didn't know all of this all of this information about you know, ancient African civilizations that gave the world so much and seeing women like me who were warrior queens. And so that was like something that just descended on me through my exploration of, you know, sort of um, theatrical performance pieces that we would do. So it was community theater. I started with a company called Open Door Theater Company. Mm. Uh, it was a, um, a black theater troupe and, um, that's where I really, as I say, my eyes starts to open to think that, okay, I have nothing to be ashamed of. But for, for having my formative years where I did not see that, did not have any role models on the television to show me that you know, women of my hue could aspire to be, you know, whatever they chose to be in life. It, it kind of made me sort of feel like, you know, there's limited potential unless I was behaving in a certain way that, you know, sort of was in tandem with this society. So normally it, mm. theater opened my eyes. And the more I got to create and express and explore, you know, the subject matters that were pertinent to me as a black woman, and then embracing that identity as a black, Af as an African woman, with Jamaican-born parents who was born in the UK. It's like the lines, the dots got joined. Oh. And that, that sense of sort of racial identity, yeah. wholeness yeah. came into being. And, and that really changed my whole outlook on the world, how, my outlook on life. And most importantly, how I felt about myself. Mm -hmm. Because back then, I considered myself ugly. As a little girl growing up, mm. you're hearing smidgens of conversations in, you know, the elders that would have come from Jamaica, terms like black and ugly, as if one goes hand in hand with the other. So me of a darker hue know, you know, you kind of draw back and think, well, oh, I'm not one of those girls who have the, you know, certain looks and features that would be considered beautiful. So I guess let me just turn everything in a comedy and turn up my personality and just you know, <laughs> and just became the larger than life Makeda that is now, you know, evolved into this. So, so give me an example of what, 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 what would be your coping mechanism at the time? You know, how did you, you're coming into this newfound reality of who you are. How do you start to appropriate your actions now going forward? Well, once I started in theater and was moving with black people, black, um, 
brethren and sisters in, in that fraternity. Uh, we were being commissioned by the local authority um, in our hometown. Wolverhampton is the hometown, the place that I was born. Um, and what we, what we were being asked to do is to be a sort of a bridge between um, the government or the local government um, and their services to our communities and the community itself. So we were putting on productions and short plays or conducting um, creative workshops, sharing with them how racism was being experienced by us. Mm. And then, you know, presenting it to whether teachers or um, council employees or whatever groupings they would, you know, sort of bring for us to share and say, look here, mm. this is how this thing that inequality and all of these um, actions that they may not be aware of, which they wouldn't have been aware of before because we just come, if, if you see what I mean, this new yeah. generation, it was, it was new for them too. How do we deal with the, the totally different um, groupings of people that we can't necessarily rate, relate to? Here are their children now in our schools. Mm -hmm. so, so, that, so that was a very um, instructive time for me as well because I, I was being made aware that aha okay that there are some groupings within the system that are seeking to bring about change and to make it more comfortable for us to be um to live comfortable and fair and equal lives sort of thing so yeah but the platform of theater um and it really gave me that voice that sense that, aha, this is how powerful your voice can be and the things you have to say. You don't have to go up to somebody and say, yo, I don't need to be better towards me and treat me better, you know, because we're tired of this. Yeah. Obviously, there were sections of the society that were doing that. They were fighting back. But we had a means through theatre now to present it in a way that could be absorbed without it being sort of confrontational. What would you, what would you say? And this might be, you know, a lot to, to think about, but what, but young black people in the uk today whether they're yes. from the caribbean or otherwise heritage what would you say to them given the changes that have taken place now we're no you know <clears throat> windrush is has gone but windrush has its you know its remnants what would you mm -hmm. say to young black people in the uk today based on your experience based on your awareness and things that are happening now current in the yeah. UK. We, we, we had a lot of protests during the pandemic period about Black Lives Matter. And it mm -hmm. appears to be as if mm -hmm. the more things change, the more they remain the same. It appears to be. But yeah. you, you, have grown, you have grown up in the system. You've gone through a very crucial time. You've learned a lot using your theater yeah. and you've become into yourself. What would you say to young Black people in the UK today? You know, I think it's a general thing I say to most persons, um, Philip, when you try to boil it all down to, to a sort of a common denominator and, and a sort of fundamental thing is master your mind and you will master your life. If you can master your thoughts and your how you think and how you perceive things, you're not going to be sort of on autopilot. You're going to be sort of, you'll have enough space to, to think things through more rationally. You'll have the space then to, rather than reacting, you know, you respond, but respond in a measured way that is in your best interest and it doesn't bring harm to anyone else. Because that's fundamentally it for me. I, I never have an intention to, to go outly go out and harm someone else. It's been 
how I've been from a little girl all the way through. That's been consistent. Um, but being able to kind of, and, and you said, as I think more things change and more they remain the same, that's one point I was going to make as well in terms of UK. I've been back and forth there over the years. I still have family there. And sometimes I can lament the fact that, my goodness, these things are still happening where they're having to have, you know, the, the quotas of persons from certain groupings are mm -hmm. not up to market. You're still having sort of racist incidents in certain working environments. I'm saying, but what, 30 odd years later, nothing mm -hmm. has really changed? Because that's mm -hmm. one of the reasons, you, you, you know, why I left the UK. I, at the bottom line, I thought to myself, there was a particular incident. There was a young black man, Clinton McCurbin. I will never forget his name, in my hometown of Wolverhampton. That's when I felt things were getting really close to home. Um, he was killed by the police. Um, and my thought was, oh my goodness, had my brother been alive, that could have been my brother. All right? And, and in whatever the situation about the circumstances surrounding his, you know, being in, in, in this situation with the police, not, neither here nor there, because we know that um, out of nothing sometimes comes something. Mm -hmm. um, so I thought to myself, why am I sort of staying in this environment where this hostility is permeating? I mean, even if you don't directly get it as, as an individual leveled at you, when you're out there, you're, you're hearing the stories, people close to you, you're seeing what's going on. And it, it became to a point I was saying, you know, something. And by now I, I visited Jamaica. So when I try to live in a country where I'm not a minority. Yeah. And so I can relax. And that's exactly what happened when I moved to Jamaica. There was a, they, they have a saying that, oh, you know, you guys have a chip on your shoulders. Da, 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 da. But in, in a sense, I felt like my shoulders relaxed moving to Jamaica. I could be me. I could, I, you know, there wasn't that sense of looking over my shoulder to see, you know, wondering if someone is observing me with a view to judging me based upon my race. And it, it, it relaxed it somewhat, you know, being here. Mm -hmm. um, but um, yes, I'm, I'm trusting. I've, I've answered the question. That you oh, asked, absolutely. But... I am. I'm really. I'm really happy. You said, you know, this is one of the reasons I moved to Jamaica. Being in Jamaica now, mm -hmm. being in Jamaica now, I feel like you just blossom and flourished and, you know, you're thriving. Uh, what is the single most important impact Jamaica's had on you since, you know, moving here full time? My spirit. What I would say, I feel as if my life, and if I sort of divide it into three, all right? The first 30 years in the UK, formative years, educated um, there, um, culture there, because I say to people, I'm, I'm bicultural, and I make no apology about it. Mm -hmm. There are essences of my Englishness that, you know, they, they, it serves me and it suits me, and, and right. I like That's you, right. know, the, you know, the things that I've been exposed to there. Um, and then moving to, to Jamaica now for almost another 30 years, and I give them an age now. <laughs> um, gentle people, I don't know what she tries to say, but you know, look, nothing like 30 years more than the last 30. So I don't know what she had thought about. I, I, let's just let's just cut that, okay? That never that wasn't said. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it feels as if it's, it's like a pendulum has swung. So the first 30 years, I felt like my racial identity became robust and intact. The name Makeda, I, I, I grew into it. 
Um, it's a name of a queen, Queen of Sheba. You know, the name Solomon is sort of li is linked to that. So there's another story, um, another connection. So I became pr a tall, proud African woman. My mother used to say to me sometimes, we, you don't have any more clothes in your wardrobe. I don't <laughs> <have any> more. <laughs> it, was, it was like I was celebrating me so much, Philip. Wait a minute. I yes, I am. I'm feeling the royalness that we know. If not every single person that left the shores of our motherland, Africa, um, was a, a king or queen. But by you coining those phrases, to me, it's like it's redressing the imbalance. Uh -huh. you know, like, if for so many years we felt that boy, we didn't really in England, we didn't feel confident in ourselves as young people because of our queue. Now I'm finding out and um, transforming myself into this proud black woman when i came to jamaica now hmm, mix mix up that with no my spiritual true spiritual connectedness i grew up in the church going to sunday school and um church every sunday with with mommy and so on predominantly white church a methodist church in wolverhampton and i loved it love sunday school love church and and so on and so forth there was nothing sort of a, there for me to not enjoy the processes yeah. of. But in terms of dropping into that level of spirituality, which to me, it's like, a, it's at a base, more foundation level because it, it's you, it, the essence of who you are. Jamaica brought me that. Mm -hmm. I found that myself, my spiritual self, I calibrated with it. I connected with it in such a potent way on this little rock here. And when we talk about this little rock here and the power of it, may I get emotional because it's tr it's real. It's living and breathing. I remember saying when I first got to Jamaica, Philip, there's going to be a spiritual revolution mm -hmm. taking place. I don't know where I get this from, you know, but mm -hmm. I remember saying it to somebody. There's going to be a spiritual revolution taking place in the world mm -hmm. and Jamaica is going to be at the hub of it. You know well, Makeda, Makeda, I, I don't, I feel, I, 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 I'm, I'm there with you. I'm, I'm excited about it. I'm really am. But when I look at Jamaica and I see what's going on here, sometimes I don't know if I can. That is part of the issue. That's a part of the problem. Let me tell you. And if we can get to the point where instead of focusing on, because this is a world of duality. That where is good, there is evil. There yes. is black there is white you know there are this duality it would exist because there is seems to be a rising of the what we're perceiving to be an increase in violence and people really not caring about each other and societies falling apart to me it's almost like a shaking up mm. it's a shaking up of humanity and it's not just jamaica alone there's a shaking up of humanity taking place where people can and, and and trust me this whole pandemic and what happened during it um before it during it and after it yeah. it all plays a part in 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 the shifts and the changes that are happening now because what you have had for the first time in what centuries and centuries is something that has affected the whole populace of the world so everyone is suddenly paying attention mm -hmm. well where your attention goes where you put your focus that is what you're going to experience for the most part in terms of your mind that's what i say to people you master uh, your master mind, your mind. And master your life because yeah. you have just said something which it's not an incorrect statement there are a lot of negative things happening in jamaica uh, uh -huh. 
I am experiencing and seeing and witnessing an amazing shift in the minds and the spirit of Jamaican people, where I'm seeing a rising to, to balance out the negativities. Mm. Mother Nature, spirit of you know the Almighty, all of those things, not sleep. Mm-hmm. You know, we humans think we are greater and grander and we can topple Mother Nature, we can topple, you know, we, we need to humble ourselves. But what I'm saying to you is that if we are focusing on all of those negative things and letting them really sink into our consciousness, stress us out, then that is the vibration that we're giving off out there. That is what we are constantly going to be repeating as a process in our mind. Because right now, as you and I sit here looking at one another, Philip, and this is an exercise I do in the workshops that I right. do. Right now, here, no. Is there anything wrong? No. Anything wrong with you? No. All right. Neither me. Right in this precise moment, we're not aware that if we bring our consciousness to it now and say, wow, probably in some part of some community, someone may have just yeah. brought harm to someone else. We have now taken ourselves into that zone. Now, I'm not saying that we ignore all that's going on, that's negative, but don't feed ourselves on it, it on a constant basis and have it as our narrative. The more you speak speak good the more you come from a place of love a place from your heart and you can focus on that and not and cut away from what are wicked set up people them out there you know you what them do last night you have persons out there now some some heinous act occurs vomit on the phone boom they send it to you look this disturbed my whole day here i'm sharing it with you what is the reasoning and logic in that we're spreading the what is happening and casting darker, darker light on one another. You know what I'm saying? We're, Absolutely. We're, whereas if we start to, from us, feel and think on, on that level where we're more positively focused. Yeah, man, look at that child on the road, work hard, graduate and get from this and this. Pick up, start picking up and sharing the positive things. It's, it's going to bring back a balance. I don't say that in my lifetime we're going to eradicate all violence and evil from the, you know, Jamaica, the shores of Jamaica. What I'm saying is with a conscious effort, with the aid of the spirits that is invested in every single one of us, mm-hmm. including those doing the wrong deeds, that is the other point I want to make they also have the spirit of the divine within them in my opinion but what they're not doing is tapping into it or it's becoming it's like for them like getting overshadowed what we need to do is try and help them find a button to turn on back for them light mm. see what what we tend to do is to judge and cast aspersions and say evil wicked you're a right off to society so that, but that's another soul. That's another spirit of the, yeah. you know. Yeah. That, that, because that, you, because you know, because you know. Mm. Uh, for those of us who believe in the Bible, you know, when when they say that you're made in the image and likeness of God, if you are, mm-hmm. then as you say, it's possible we just don't. We're not tapping into what we really are. So when you don't, yes. you are likely to do something that is uncharacteristic. Absolutely, absolutely. There's the, oh, so many clues are in are in the Bible for us, you know. I think we kind of sometimes we try to look at the whole thing and and, and break it. No, it. It can be quite simplified. I think if we simplify things, I just finished. Um, I'm doing a course currently on consciousness-based education um, because when I was principal of um, the school I was in um, Montego Bay here, 
we introduced what was called quiet time is a transcendental meditation was the foundation of it. In other words, if we get children based upon scientific research that shows that the neurons of the brain, when they are in a coherent and calm state, they fuse better. So you can look it up. Um, I send people on inquiry to look at this. Around the world, you have this simple principle being introduced into schools. 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes before the children go home. It changes their whole brain physiology. Their behavior calms right down. They're able to, their grades go up, the level of delinquency or, you know, suspensions drop. And these things are, this, for the last 50 years, this has been going on. Now, as I say, when, when I when I introduced it at the school, mm -hmm. there was some kickback. And I, was like, I can imagine. I was about to ask you, you know, if you, there was any opposition. And maybe that was my naivety coming with what I consider to be good intent and the, what they call the science, the evidence that schools in the, you know, the roughest parts of, of the states, in India, in Africa, all over the world where this has been introduced, the results are there. The children's grades show the change, their behaviors, their health, the whole community shifts. So to my mind, there are some simple formulas that can be utilized that can shift a nation. And we think, why well, won't take long as too much? But the, it, it can be done, as they say, the twinkling of an eye, is it? Whatever mm -hmm. the saying is. Yes. Things can, because when you deal with spirit, Spirit does not work in accordance with um, human um, constraints or yes. schedules. Yes. In the first of an instant, you can have a gunman out there who just do a wicked deed and invoke upon something, something connect with the spirit in him, and he transforms overnight. Mm -hmm. And that's the level of spirit that I, as you mentioned, Jamaica, I found what being here has done because I'm close to nature. We yeah. want barefoot as much as we can. I barely, I barely put on shoes. When people say, come out, when I to go out somewhere, I have to remember to turn back and pick up my shoes. Grounding yourself. So what I share in the work that I do know, Philip, he said, look, I may not have all the answers, but the formulas that I have found work for, that work for me, keep my temple clean. I've not eaten meat perhaps for 30 plus years. That was a conscious choice. Um, and, I, and I'm not sort of preaching at anyone as I as I relate this. Me used to right. love me, me, yeah, man, grow up on it, my parents, you know, full Monty. Um, but when I made that decision, what I observed is that my state of health, then um, it dissected from the rest of my families. And what it was clear evidence is that, you know, my mother and my father both had um, renal failure. Um, were on dialysis and my younger sister too also succumbed to to, to that has had to have a kidney transplant mm. so what, what i'm saying is there is a correlation obviously with what you put into your mouth yeah. that yeah. determine how strong this temple is yeah to absolutely I, I want to go on for some years you know almighty yeah. willing yeah. to do some serious yeah. stuff and enjoy some life so i want to take care of this and what i find last year Philip, for my 57th birthday I said, you know something? See me get it. Wait, no, they don't have to do the math. <laughs> I said, I said, I am going to defy this 57-year-old body that when I was a youngster, I could not do the splits. All right. So I do I practice yoga. I do you have a beautiful yoga and fitness coach that drives me and keeps me on tra on track. I said, I'm going to at 57 do the splits. 
some people put me and say, man, you broke your bone, them, you know, your mind so and so, man, you go down and can't come back up. <laughs> focus with the focus on saying yes. Remember, say belief kill and belief cure. You know, I mm. believe that my body at this age, even though I couldn't do it when I was a youngster, will be able to to complete that feat. And so said, so done, Philip. Wow. It, and and when it, when I accomplished it, it wasn't so I can say, "Let me show up because my body flexible." Yeah, yeah. It's to say, look, mind over matter. Master your mind. Your body will go into accordance with what your mind is telling you. So you wake up every day and say, "Let me not pain, pain at evening, pain at night, every day the hush, the pain, the pain." You're you're talking it into being. Absolutely. You're, you're, or you're at Absolutely. least reinforcing. The, 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 the peace. So what you give attention to expands and goes. So tell your body, say, we want a young, fit, healthy body. And then you go about the things, the practical things yeah. that will bring that about. So the diet, what you eat, but also what you take in mentally. Mentally. Is Nourish your body well. Nourish your mind. Please, please, please be said to people all the while. Plug yourself out as often as you can from the the societal mainframe. Plug yourself out and as my auntie is auntie say, let me ears near grass. Never mm. understood that Jamaican saying. Yes. And and you know, but anyway, I understand it to mean give me a break. Yeah. Just give me a break. Let, let yes. the bombardment. Let me breeze out. Yeah, man. Yes. So I went to the lens of studying neuroscience um, in the form of neuronet therapy for children because to my mind, every child and the children are my focus they're my passion children and teenagers because to my mind they are not yet so entrenched or fixed in terms of their their, their behavioral patterns and their neural networks that are wired everything you do it, it, it triggers something in your brain and if your brain lock it in it becomes a habit and if absolutely. a habit goes on, go on for years you know say heart is been a tree when it you know when it goes. absolutely that principle I'm saying that nourish the things that go into your brain. So many things. And ladies then and nourish. gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, let me tell us something. I mean, I overflow. Where is that? Where is that? This is an overflow. I'm, I'm here for it. Listen to me, no man. We are talking to Makeda Solomon, and she has been on this fabulous journey of discovering herself. And but not just discovering, but sharing with us how we too can come into an understanding and into a life that we determine based on how we master our minds. Let me tell you something, Makeda, I am truly, truly grateful. Makeda, you have occupied so many different roles in your life as a school principal, an insurance professional, executive, an actress. You know, you have been a therapist and you are certainly a motivator and a mentor. And you have occupied, played so many different roles on stage. And I'm listening to you talk and I'm like, no, it's as if you, you've come, you've arrived at a particular place in your life. Do you think that any of those roles that you played, whether on stage or off stage in your real life, and by the way, guys, um, I also did a play with her. Okay, she played my wife. Hey, ah, uh, okay, and she's a hey. You tell us something when you play with Makeda, you better step up your air, child. You better step up your game. 
How did and has, I should say, any of those role plays influenced where you are now? Hmm, interesting question. Um, and and I'll, I'll probably have a sort of flurry of plays that I've been in keep popping up in my mind as I'm pondering the, the answer to this. But what I tend to do, Philip, and, and I know you do the same, you are an actor that immerses yourself deeply into a role. Trust me, goosebump proportions. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> when, when you, I, I, I'm an empath. Yes. As, as I understand it, whatever, whoever coined that phrase and the description of it, it tends to fit me in terms of my, I, I tend to have the ability to be able to step into people's shoes, to, to be able to see things from their perspective. Um, and I feel very deeply, very sensitive. So when I find a character in any play that I'm going to be in, and I'm reading the storyline and what's happened to them, I'm, I'm feeling it even from the first reading, words trigger me, I'm, I'm passionate about words as well. So, so, so the magic and the power of how the words have been woven together by the playwright, um, that impacts me. So from the beginning, the check, the, the, each character that I'm going to be playing, I'm working it into my physiology, into my neurology. It's coming, you know, I'm absorbing it. So by the time I'm playing that character, I'm playing that character repeatedly, mm -hmm. there, there, is a, there is a semblance of that character that, that, that's, that resides with me, that stays with me. So even if we've not had experience as actors, I think we need to appreciate this too. Even if we may not have had the experiences of the persons that we um, are representing on yes. stage, an aspect of them, even in thought, it stays with you. Yes. And I suppose it depends on how absorbent you are as an individual. Some persons play more surface and they, they act it out and, they, and then they shed it, the character and, and so on. But I've played a go-go dancer. I've played an 80-year-old, an octogenarian. Um, I've played a, a Rastafarian woman. There are a myriad of characters that I've played um, and, and each of them I find, I feel an attachment to. Because there, there, there's times when I'll say things as Makeda out there and the character's turn of phrase might still, you know, sort of, sort of come out, mm -hmm. you know, years and years thereafter. So, so yes, I, there is no one role as such. I mean, I suppose a role that impacted me um, most, in terms of the, the, the effect on my emotional being, it was, it was Lena, who will sing for Lena, the one on the show, because Absolutely. Once, it's, once it's a true story, Philip, it turn it up even more in my yeah. vibes. Yeah. Because it's like when I watch a movie, if I watch a movie now and I don't maybe catch the beginning of it, and at the end they say this is based on a true story, it yeah. changes the whole way I relate to the story. Yeah. So Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you a little bit about Lena, because I, I mean, I'm glad you mentioned that. Lena actually is a is a is a, a true story, a true story of the only woman to be executed in um, Georgia. in Georgia, right, uh, for killing a, a white man who actually persistently abused and uh, uh, raped her, and uh, Makeda had the privilege, the awesome privilege, of recalling and recounting and presenting that story by herself on stage every night it's an experience guys it's an experience that 
you all should have. And let me just tell you one thing about it. I could feel she was only, she, there was only one body on stage, hers alone, but I could feel and I could see all the other characters that she spoke of, spoke to uh, on the stage with her. Makeda, go ahead, tell us about that. Yes, yes, phenomenal because um, obviously at the end she's executed. So um, the writer Janice Liddell beautifully put this script together. She's an Atlanta-based writer. Um, and having seen the transcripts of the court case, so she pieced it together from that. Then I, when I read the script, I was like, mm -mm, this is in 2005. I said, this is heavyweight stuff. I said, who can direct this? And what I did, I said, Faye Ellington. Faye Ellington came into my consciousness, into my spirit and said, that woman, it was her directorial debut, I understand, yes. Oh. And Faye mixed it and blended. She added a Jamaican character to it to give it a narrator, to give it a flavor. So I was playing the narrator, playing Lena as a little girl, as a middle-aged woman, as a whatever, up to the point of execution, sitting in that electric chair and you act that out, mm. but the thought of doing it, mm. believe me, me not know, maybe, maybe up to now, me should I go get a little bit of therapy because. I know. I understand because I was sitting there and I am like, I, I'm, I feel like I'm experiencing this for real. Yeah. yeah so I can yeah, imagine what you have to go through every night. But that's a magic of theatre, being able to convey to other people to the point where they are, there's silence in the space at the end of the play. Nobody, most audiences, there was a pause before any applause because you, you grab them. And that is the power of theatre to transform. I mean, I'm talking about transcendental meditation. I'm talking about um, yoga. I'm talking about meditation other practices, other means. I do drama therapy, psychodrama, all these tools. Because theater too has a, is a powerful way to change societies, to change minds, change lives. Because you're planting indirectly, you know, you're planting seeds through the story in people's minds as to, okay, and they relate themselves to it. So we mustn't underestimate the power of not only spoken word, but performing for people to, to make a shift in their consciousness. Your passion, your passion for children and children's mm -hmm. education comes out in <laughs> almost in everything that you say. Uh, yes. What motivates you to focus in that area? Because even though you're not, you're no longer in the the classroom setting, so to speak. Not directly. Not directly. directly. Right. Mm -hmm. There's some passion that you have. Mm -hmm. I know you have a, a beautiful child who is now a beautiful man uh, uh but you have yeah. a passion that transcends all young people and i i noticed the way how you deal with young people what motivates that and what would you want your legacy to be in that area all right my passion for the education my passion for children has always been there i worked with um, children's groups in and youth groups in england before i came to jamaica um but when i came here um and had my son and saw the, some, the little challenges that he was having settling into classroom and i was thinking oh what is this he's energetic and first 
they at school teach a boy is energetic here. I'm thinking, but aren't all children at two and a half, three energetic? You know, nobody. So it sent me on inquiry to find out why my child was like moving in class and wanting to, you know, miss I need the bathroom or miss I need to, you know, whatever, whatever it is. His energy level was mm -hmm. heightened. So I researched it. I said, oh, what is this? Kinesthetic learner. Oh, you have different learning styles. Mm -hmm. And that all sent me on a whole trajectory. I went and did neuronet therapy, as I said earlier, in Florida, um, so that I could use that tool. And I applied it on my son, first of all, in terms of exercises, movement that helped the neurons in the brain to fire more synchronistically and uh, left brain, right brain synchronicity. Um, to be enhanced. So the passions, and, and I literally followed him through his school progression, changed schools. He went to a Montessori school, then he went into public school, then he went into private school. I didn't hold any bars in shifting him around to try and find the right fit for him. And that is the issue. We squeeze our children who are sometimes square pegs into these round hole institutions ah. that have been rigidly round holes for centuries and centuries, not changing, not, that's the other revolution that is gonna happen. Um, is happening, and I'm very, very excited about it, an education revolution. Any society that does not build its future on the children and how they're educated and educating them holistically, we're bound to continue to repeat and to, and to fall into the same hole. Completely endorse that statement. Yeah, man, you have to educate the whole child and you get, you get them at a point where you, you connect them into the framework of teaching. When I go into classrooms, because as I said, um, indirectly, I'm still doing that. Um, whenever I go to England, I'm part of a, a, a company that I go out into the schools and do motivational talks. I do learning performance presentations. There are techniques that children can use to help to enhance their brain power. I think if I had life all over again, I might go and become a neuroscientist, or maybe I was one in a past life, because how the brain works fascinates me. Behaviors are changed at the brain and mind level. It's, you, you can't put handcuffs on someone, incarcerate them, or put them on detention or suspension and expect their behaviors to change. It's a neurological thing that's brought in by all the physical factors in terms of what they're eating, their diet. You have to check a child's diet. Are they getting the nourishment so their brain can function? Why are they so antsy or irritable or angry? There are always underlying things. So my passion is that we educate a whole tranche of teachers. We start in the teachers' college. We bring back teachers who are passionate about the children too and aren't just doing it just for raise a two shilling. I know it's a reality, everybody wants to eat their food, but going into education, the realms of education and don't, and don't love children and don't see the good in every child because one statement from a teacher, as we know, take him Malcolm X's story. And he said, Miss, I want to be a lawyer. And the teacher told him, no, Malcolm, you can't be a teacher. You're a Negro, so you have to yeah. be a... Think of something that's in your... Teachers make or break, can make or break students. Because at that young age, they're, they're not resilient enough. And if they were to sort of um, come back at the teacher and say, no, Miss, like, I, to any statement, negative statements that's made, they'd be seen as being rude or insubordinate. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I have a vision and let me start with Jamaica. You don't need every single child in Jamaica to be, we want every child to be, but, but in terms of the numbers, a shift in behavior can happen with a small percentage of the population. It don't take everybody to turn up, wake up tomorrow morning with a good clean heart and want to do good in society and so on. You need a large enough number of people who are right thinking, 
hearts in the right place because mind and heart have to play an equal role if it's all intellectual children you go into a classroom they sense you they, they're coming like dogs absolutely sniff you out if you don't really for them if you don't care for them if you don't like oh yes them, oh them yes because we're vibration we're energy so the children pick it up so when i go into a classroom and we're done with the picnic them and then they, at the end miss miss can, can you come and work at our school oh miss miss because they feel the love yeah you have to love picnic to be a dedication fraternity yeah it's, it's to me it's a precursor <laughs> absolutely Ladies and gentlemen, we are talking to Makeda Solomon, the queen, Makeda Solomon. She uh, has been sharing her journey and she's been sharing some wonderful gems that she has picked up along the way. She's, she's sharing her passion. She's sharing her vision. You know, she's sharing her dream and she is, has really imparted a lot of herself today to us. I, 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 I don't want this to, to, to end, <laughs> but uh, we only have a certain amount of time. But I'd like to finally ask you one question, Makeda. I too, like yourself, I'm very passionate about the youth and very concerned about the trajectory because I think we are here so that when we leave, we make the world a better place. Absolutely. If one young person was listening to you right now, what is that one thing you would tell I'm going to try to narrow it down to one sentence, but I would say you are here on this planet Earth. You are the only you with your fingerprint. There's no other you on this planet. You are here to deliver to this world what you came here to deliver. You have a purpose. Every single one of you has a purpose. All right. And every single human being is valuable. So don't squeeze yourself up in, up in a little corner and think, oh, because I'm not Mr. So-and-so's son from so-and-so. I'm from here or there or whatever. That you're not as an important. The world will not be the same without you. That statement is, is categoric. The world will not be the same if you are no longer in it. It changes by virtue of the fact that your physical self, which is just the uniform that carries our, it's, it's like a uniform we wear, you know, the body and our, you know, with a name tag on it. And then the spirit that is in us, once your spirit leaves, you know, once your physical self leaves, then that spirit does not have you as a vehicle now. You might use it like a Chris car. Chris up yourself, change your aisle, take care of your, all of the things about yourself, you know, make sure that your, your, your engine is checked, take care of yourself so that when the time comes for you to leave this planet Earth, you leave it feeling like, yes, I have delivered 100% of who I am and what I came here to do. Don't pull back, don't hide yourself in any corner. And that's for adults as well as, as, as youngsters. You are important, you are valuable and don't let anyone, anything, any society, any government, any outward expression of, of humanity convince you otherwise. Tap into yourself. Your power is within you. Your spirit is invincible. It's eternal. Take it for a ride, man. Ride that spirit and take it around in fine style and enjoy your, your life as much as you possibly can, given the circumstances that you're in. And if your circumstances are not ideal, turn your brain away from focusing on the non-idealness to 
what you would like it to look like. There is a power in thoughts. Thoughts emit. They measure it. They can measure your thought waves, just like microwaves and Wi-Fi waves. So that power of your mind to create matter is a real deal. The physicists, what physicists and those folk are, are just chronicling it. No, they're just coming into to, to fully understand how powerful the mind is. Master your mind and you master your life. Master your mind and you will master your life. Makeda Solomon hits it where it matters. She's always been somebody who delivers well on or off the stage. And here she is on Lights Camera, real life, dishing out the real deal. And Makeda, I want to thank you for your generosity. I want to thank you for your imprint, your imprint that you have, you know, placed on me and all the other people that you come in, come in contact with. And I'm sure that when everybody and all the persons who are listening to this, this podcast, they are going to be all the better for it. My girl, thank you for coming. Thank you for being. My pleasure, Philip. My pleasure. It's always a joy to We can't wait to see you in real life now. So we can hug you and see yes. you. Yes. I don't know what to Yes. Yes. Uh, uh, you must come at Kingston. All right, sir. Okay. But may I come up? Yes, may I, may I come up? May I come? You're in Montego Bay. I mean, yes, yes, just on the outskirts. Okay. Yes, indeed. All right, no problem. All right, ladies and gentlemen, my friend, and that's our show. This was epic, as we say, you know. And if you want to listen to this podcast, remember it is available on all the podcast platforms that you listen to and on YouTube at Philip A. Clark. So please tune in and listen to the podcast, watch the show on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share, and look out for episode six. I guarantee you it's going to be another show that fills you up. It's lights, camera, real life.